unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back, copywriters, to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, proven time and time again by these just value-packed podcast episodes, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. I'm excited about this this topic. Oh, I am too. You sent me the show notes and I can't wait. So let's not even wait. Let's just jump right into it. What are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about 10 ways to polish your copy after you've written it. So let me tell you about a friend of mine. He had an old Fender Stratocaster guitar he wanted to sell. He put up an ad in Craigslist. The price was good. And he got five people to come by and look at it. And most of the people liked the way the guitar played, but they all kind of hesitated and nobody bought it. He asked me what was wrong. I looked at the guitar. It was clean enough. It had new strings. It sounded good, but it looked kind of dull. I said, hey, get something to polish it up with. I said, then raise the price $100 and you will sell it. My friend said he wasn't that much into appearances, but he was so frustrated that he followed my advice anyway. And guess what? It worked. The first person who came by, from the new listing, looked at the guitar, played it for five minutes, put the exact amount of cash on the table, and walked out the door with my friend's old guitar. My friend smiled, and after the buyer left with the guitar, he admitted he was dumbfounded. How could one coat of polish make such a difference? Well, as it turns out, the same thing is true with your copy. Turning it into a client when it's rough and almost good enough does not usually work out very well. Or if the copy is for your own product or service, showing your prospect sloppy copy will hurt your sales results. So this episode is about polishing your copy once it's written, not with Fender guitar polish, but with a series of simple techniques and steps to make it shine and sell. So today we'll talk about 10 ways to polish up your copy. And uh, a shout out to my friend Joe Polish, but it's not the same thing as Joe. This is polishing your copy <laughs> uh, for maximum engagement and sales. And before we get into these 10 ways, let me make a quick announcement. Copy is powerful. You, the listener, are responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you just might want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. And my larger clients do this all the time. Okay, now let's get on with these 10 ways to polish your copy. Can I ask a question before we jump into this? Of course. As far as editing it goes, when you do this, do you wait until after you've written to edit or do you keep these things in mind? that we're going to be discussing as you're going through and writing. I've heard different opinions about it. What's your opinion? I do my best to just write it all the way through. In fact, sometimes I will even let it sit for a day because the frame of mind you're in when you're writing copy is often very heated and emotional and excited and urgent, and you need to slow down a little bit to do this part. So I would recommend afterwards. Awesome. That's kind of my opinion too, but I just wanted to get a, a confirmation from the master. 
<laughs> okay. Well, there you have it. So uh, let's get to the 10 ways. Okay. The first one is to get your spelling and your grammar correct and get your punctuation right too. Um, there are some mechanical ways to do this. Um, the best known is, is Microsoft Word it has a tool um, under tools and the very top uh, bar. There's a, a little widget, little app called Spelling and Grammar. And um, the review will help you with your spelling and your grammar. Autocorrect will help you with that too. And it will make punctuation suggestions. But the bottom line is you need to learn the rules yourself. Or you need to get a good editor to go over what you wrote who won't mess up your copy, but who will fix the errors. That's important. Uh, now, we say copy needs to be conversational and in ordinary language. That's true. But that doesn't mean stupid or illiterate. Uh, people, some people are going to, you know, question your credibility if you can't use the proper rules of grammar and punctuation. And other people will get confused. So this is very important. Okay. How difficult is it to find a copy editor that doesn't want to take your copy and turn it into a piece of English literature? That's tough. Uh, I, um, a lot of them do, or a lot of them will have other ideas or suggestions because, you know, a lot of them aren't trained in, uh, what we've spent so much time. I don't just mean on this podcast, but I mean, we as copywriters, we have marketers, they haven't spent that time learning it. So it's, it's worth the effort. It's really the best thing is to do is to learn it yourself, to just pay attention, get some books. If you need to take a class in proofreading, if you need to. Just learn how the language works. It's, you know, language is your tool. You need to know how to use it. Gotcha. Okay. Number two is use only one idea per sentence. And that maybe it sounds really obvious, but I'll tell you what, a lot of good writers will put more than one idea in a sentence at first. Now that's okay, but when you go back, you've got to, trim it down. You need to edit ruthlessly. So it's just so clean and so clear. Um, and there, there are two ways to, that I can think of to get one idea per sentence. You either break up the sentences, the one sentence into two or more sentences, or you choose the one idea and you just get rid of the others. You just need to stay focused on, on one idea per sentence. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number three is tighten things up. You find the extra words you don't need and you take them out. This is especially true with unneeded adjectives and adverbs. Sometimes people tend to write in a very flowery way and you find you can get rid of half or more of the adjectives and adverbs. And also the word that. Um, I did this so that, you know, I did this, I don't know, I can't come up with an example on the spur of the moment, but the word that can really make your copy clunky. And the thing is, you don't want it to be clunky. You want it to be sleek. You want your copy, good copy moves at a pace. Extra words will slow it down. I think, All right. I think uh, the listener can probably just look at some of their own writing. And I've experienced nine times out of 10, if you just take the word that out of a sentence, it doesn't lose any of the meaning at all. And then you realize that that word that was just taking up space. Sure. And, and there's a, there's a technical name for that process too. 
It's called devatification. <laughs> nice. No, I just made that up. Just kidding. No. <laughs> trademark. Remember, trademark. Yes, registered trademark. <laughs> okay. The fourth part is related, but it's a little different. It's cut out the boring stuff. Uh, famous movie director Alfred Hitchcock said, "Drama is life with the dull bits cut out." That's that's really worth thinking about. Drama is life with the dull bits cut out. And the same thing is true for copy. The excitement and momentum come in large part from lean writing and from not getting bogged down by, by boredom. And, you know, this, this comes somewhat from experience and somewhat from being able to look at your copy from a distance with a little objectivity. And that can come sometimes from waiting a full day or two after you've written it to take, take the time to really get some distance from your copy. But uh, here's a tip on that. You need facts for sure, but in most of your copy, you want to, you want to favor the human elements, emotions, experience, how things affect people's lives and minimize the technical elements that really only geeks care about. Even Nothing wrong with geeks. Even if you are a geek, even if you're selling to geeks, the reality is people don't buy for geeky reasons. They buy for emotional reasons. They buy for what your product or your service is going to do to improve some aspect or all of their life. And those things tend to be human elements. So they buy for the emotional reasons, and a lot of times they uh, they back up the decision with the logic. That's why... I've noticed a lot of packaging has the person having a whole bunch of fun on the front of the package and then all of the logical reasons to buy listed on the back of the package. Yep, that, that is how the brain works. And it hasn't changed in a long time and it's probably not going to change anytime soon. That's, that's how the brain works. Okay, now here's another thing to do. Read it out loud. You know, print it out, go somewhere away from your computer and read your copy out loud. And to the degree that you can, notice especially if you're keeping the momentum going and if you're keeping the excitement building. Okay. Um, that, that takes a little bit of uh, extra attention and focus. But remember, good copy is conversational. It's, it's not like an English paper or a business memo. It's like a conversation with another person. And to be honest, one of the hardest things to learn to do is to write conversationally. It, it, it would seem that it, you know, it would seem that it should come easily. We know how to talk. Why can't we write that way? Well, because we've been programmed in schools and business and all kinds of other writing training that is maybe uh, at odds with what works in copywriting. So you have to learn to put that aside and, and to focus on the conversational aspect. And a great way to get closer to that is after you've written your copy, read it out loud. And, and here are a couple of uh, things. If you stumble on something, if it doesn't speak easily, then 
that needs to be fixed till it just rolls off the tongue. And if it comes across as awkward, make it come across as, as smooth and, and natural and, um, you know, colloquial, conversational. Another thing, and I didn't put this on the list, but it's something from an old John Cable's book that I think is a tremendous idea. He would give his copy to a 10-year-old and ask the 10-year-old to cross out the words the 10-year-old didn't understand. It's a good idea. Um, You don't want your copy to be difficult to understand or, you know, super technical or sophisticated. You want it to be clean and simple. I was reviewing a letter from a lawyer yesterday, and it was to prospects, and there were just no big words in it at all. I mean, it, it was one of the best letters I'd ever seen, too. This guy had really learned how to to do what we're talking about here. So if a lawyer can learn to do it, anyone can learn to do it, right? (laughs) You would hope so. You would hope so. Okay. The sixth thing is to change passive sentences to active sentences. Now, this is a real trap, especially since there are a lot of situations where we see act we see passive sentences all the time and so we come to accept them as normal and it does take a little more attention and focus to keep everything active it's 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 a little little more mentally muscular so maybe maybe people don't know what a a passive sentence is and what an active sentence is so here's a couple of passive sentences the ball was thrown or the ball was thrown by him. And the active sentence is, he threw the ball. Okay? It's that simple. There's someone who's taking an action, then a verb that describes the action, and then another noun that describes what the action was taken on. He threw the ball. And the key thing to recognize when you have a passive sentence is a use of a form of the verb to be, like was or were or is or will be. If that's in front of your main verb, then it's a passive sentence. Another test that you could do is to look at a sentence and if something's being done, which is passive, something's being done but you can't tell who's doing it, the active part, then that's a passive sentence. You need to know who the actor is, not like the movie actor, but the person taking action, and then what action that person is taking. So let's unpack that one just a little bit. I I have a follow-up question for it. I was taught that the way that you can tell the difference between active voice and passive voice is if the main subject of the sentence is being acted upon, it's passive. If the main subject of the sentence is doing the acting, then it's active. What's the importance, though? What's the psychological um, reason that you want to avoid passive and lean more towards active voice? Well, at, at the most basic level, you are going to be asking the prospect to take action. So you want them to be thinking about other people and other things taking action in order for them to be in that mode. More than that, I'm not sure. I, I, I just know that, that, Passive sentences sort of fall flat. They're dull. You lose interest. You get confused. It muddies things up. And active sentences are, are just m- much clearer. There's much more momentum in them. 
that's that's about the best I can do, I think. I mean, do you have any ideas on that? I'd, I'd love to hear them. My thoughts go along with that exactly. I, I feel like if you're trying to get somebody to take action, keeping them in a mindset of, of taking action, showing examples of other people taking action, when you keep that same momentum going, when you get to the end where you call them to action, it seems to me that they're more likely to actually follow through. Yeah, well, that's that's certainly a good enough reason. <laughs> and and we do find that the best copy always has active sentences in it, usually short ones. So, yeah. Hey, let me ask you something. How would you like a complete copywriting course packed into a $10 Kindle book? Yeah? Then let me invite you to try Breakthrough Copywriting. It's only $10 and it's available now on Amazon as a Kindle. Breakthrough Copywriting was originally a $5,000 live seminar I held in Las Vegas. People flew in from all over the world to attend Breakthrough Copywriting. This Kindle book by the same name is a complete version of my four presentations at the seminar. If you would like to dig into copywriting basics or refresh the knowledge you already have, then you'll really like Breakthrough Copywriting. A-listers like John Carlton, Joe Sugarman, and Bob Bly give this book an A+, and you can read the reviews right on the Amazon site. This episode of the Copywriters Podcast is sponsored by Breakthrough Copywriting. Check this book out at Amazon.com today. And now, back to the Copywriters Podcast program, already in progress. All right, so what do we got next? Well, this next one is, it's a little subtler. It's whenever you can use visual and or visceral and or emotional language. So we're saying don't use too many adjectives, but if you do use them, or when you do use them, you want to use adjectives that that stir images in the mind and feelings in the body and feelings in the emotion. Um, you know, he cried like a baby. He cried with joy. He cried out for more. I mean, those are all very emotional or uh, visual or sensory in some ways kinds of statements. And the, 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 the reason for this is you want to draw your reader into an experience that is meaningful, that seems real life. And, you know, we often tend to think about things in very dry, objective, stark terms, but we live life very experientially. It's very emotional. Uh, it's, it's very visual. We, a, a lot of our life has to do with what we see and how it looks. And so if you can recreate that experience in your copy, and, and by the way, now I'll tell you a book, which is going to be made available um, by Brian Kurtz in a few months, because he's promised to do that. It's out of print. It's hard to find. Teaches you how to do this. It's an incredible book. It's a lot of freaking work, and it's worth every minute and every ounce of energy you pour into it. It's called The Brilliance Breakthrough by Eugene Schwartz. Now, people have heard of breakthrough advertising, which is, you know, Gene's most famous work. But The Brilliance Breakthrough teaches you how to write this way. He doesn't say that it does. He, he, he talks about it differently. 
Um, but his his whole point is to teach people to write in this way because I think the subtitle is um, how to speak and write so people will never forget you. And it's true. I mean, that's that's another reason for using visual and visceral and emotional language. Visceral, of course, means physical, like the viscera, the body, muscles, um, uh, body sensations. And so th- this is important. It's it's not always natural. It's not encouraged in a lot of standard writing courses uh, or a lot of standard writing paths. You, you know, I, I remember I had a, a client, Nathan, brilliant guy, great teacher, great coach, great businessman. But his copy uh, was sometimes a little a little dry with, you know, the visual and the visceral and the emotional. And it turned out he was a PhD. I mean, a real one. And he'd been a professor. And so I said to him, I can tell you two words that when you are presenting a paper at a conference, two words you can never say. And he probably thought I was going to say F you or something like that, but that, that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't it. Um, I said, the two words are, I feel. Because in the academic world, you just bleed it dry of emotion, bleed it dry of, of anything that's not objective and provable. And you know that every sentence you write or speak is going to be subject to attack by other academics. Why? Well, because they have nothing else to do with their time. So, um, yeah, it, it, and, and of course, the academics are the people, the PhDs are the people who taught our school teachers, who taught us. So they may teach you to be creative or so forth. But if you, I'll tell you, you know, if, if, a, if a student really gets into something visual or visceral, particularly on a politically incorrect topic, they will be chastised and they will be redirected to redrink the Kool-Aid of the whole <laughs> academic system. So uh, you may have to do a little deprogramming and reprogramming of your writing style to learn to do this. And another way to learn this, besides the brilliance breakthrough and um, besides listening to copywriters podcast is notice what you see in other copy. Notice how other people do it. You know, who's really good at this? Who's that? John Carlton. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's he's amazing, and and so and you know some of his letters are floating around the internet, or you can take horses from him, buy some of his products. Notice what he does. Also, um, notice the National Enquirer. It's it's become increasingly negative and gossipy over the years, but they do write this way. It's really really a good example to to study how they write because they're writing in very conversational, believable language. And um, another place to study all of this is in good fiction, certain kinds of fiction. I I think Elmore Leonard might be a good example of this, even though he writes in a weird way, doesn't have complete sentences, you know, and, and he'll sort of just power through stuff. His stuff stirs up a lot of emotions, a lot of laughter. And so, yeah, just just notice how it's done when it's done well and then do it that way or insert it into your copy when it starts to get a little dry. Nice. How, how important on that note, how important is reading outside of just study material when you're trying to become a a better copywriter? I know a lot of people say, Oh, I only read the greats. I, I, I read Capels and Schwartz and, uh, 
I, I don't really hear very many people talk about reading good fiction. Well, uh, let me let me do a little breakdown. The word copywriter is actually comes from two words: copy and writer. And writers read, and writers need to read more than what they're writing. You need to really expand your horizons and and see stuff. So the answer is it's very important. It's extremely important. I mean, I've studied fiction. I've studied screenwriting. I've written a screenplay. I actually have a stealth um, book on the internet under another name that's sold, that's fiction. I've studied hypnosis, which is, you know, another form of language, NLP, which is a kind of hypnosis. I've studied lots and lots of things. And it really helps, you know, because the more you know, the more you have to draw from. I mean, you know, I'm reading a, an interesting book called uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, which other people probably read years ago. Not, it's a good book. One of the things he talks about is what he calls career capital. And he simply means having experiences and, and uh, uh, street cred to draw from. Uh, same thing for a writer. You want to have lots of different reading experiences to draw from to, oh, I just thought of another person uh, you can read if you can handle it. Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> if you can handle it. If you can handle it. Okay. So let's go from the very mushy and soft and squishy and touchy feely of visual and visceral and emotional to the other end of the spectrum. You need to have built and maintained a chain of logic. And I don't even know how to describe this or help someone with it because learning logic is not a natural or an easy thing, but it can make all the difference at the highest levels. They, like Agora Financial, for example, where I participate in copy critiques every week, uh, they always talk about the chain of logic in the letter. And we're talking sometimes about letters that are 30, 40, 50 pages, and person just keeps a logical thread. The easiest thing to say about this to understand is logic means one thing follows another in, in a sequence that makes sense, a chronological sequence, or if this happens, then this happens, which I guess is also chronological, but we could call a causal sequence. And the, the most important thing is logic, good logic in copy is invisible. You need to actually strain to see it, but it's like you're not all over the place. You're not jumping from one thing to another. They, they also call this the golden thread. It, mm -hmm. it, the, the best thing I, I really would love to be able to tell people how to, you know, uh, download a logical mind. Um, can't tell you how to do that, but I can tell you that the, 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 best ordinary language way to explain this is you start with a strong promise you can prove and deliver on, and then you simply go ahead and make sure everything in your copy flows from that and is related to it in one way or another. Kind of harkens back to the last episode where we were talking about beginning with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if you know where you're going, you know where you're starting, you know where you're going. You just want to find the most logical, simple, straightforward way to get there. So number nine, keep your copy focused on your prospect, your offer, and on selling your offer. You know, it's easy to get off track. 
sometimes when you're writing a million ideas come into your head at once, you need to rein yourself back in when you're polishing your copy. It, it's okay to go wild and in many directions when you're writing, but you need to trim all of the tangents off of the branch and just, just keep the, the branch and the little branches of that tree, one branch or one tree with, you know, a few branches. Um, and in one test you can give to your copy is the question, what do my prospects need to see and hear to know that what I'm writing is about them? What do they need to see and hear to know that you, the person writing the letter, or if you're a copywriter ghostwriting the letter for a, a client, that person is real and can be trusted. And what do your prospects need to see and hear to know that this is an appealing offer? Okay. And and then the, the polishing part is to take out any tangents that are quote unquote interesting, but not relevant to your prospect, to your offer, or to selling your offer. And I bet you're ready for number 10, Nathan. Are you? <laughs> Uh, I do have a question. I know that I struggle sometimes with, sometimes I have a sentence or I have a point and I'm like, this is not really in line with everything, but it's so good that I don't want to take it out. How do you deal with that internal conflict? Or do you even have that internal conflict? Oh, sure I do. Um, so th it's a binary choice. Either you find a way to make it fit in or you take it out. Because if if you need to say something Go go get a soapbox and and fly over to Hyde Park, you know, in London. <laughs> but if if you're selling something, you know, uh, a long time ago, I took a seminar from Dan Kennedy, and I mean, this is like 12 years ago. And uh, fortunately for me, and unfortunately for him, there were only four people in the room. I don't think that's ever happened since. But it was just one of those weird things—a copywriting seminar—and he told me something that has become. I, I might as well like spray paint it on my wall. It's, he, he said, does it advance the sale? Mm. And if it doesn't advance the sale, think very carefully about using it, you know? Wow, that's powerful. It is. Dan's one smart dude. Okay, and then now are you ready for number 10? <laughs> yeah, let's get, let's get into number 10. Okay, so number 10 is to make sure your clothes is clear, your call to action is clear and strong. Tell your prospect how to buy in clear and simple language and don't be shy and make it as impossible for the prospect to screw it up as you can. Sometimes ask someone else to read it and ask them what they thought they just read and you know, actually have them follow the instructions if it's online. You know, this this sort of goes beyond copywriting in a way and into web design and shopping cart design and order form design and all that. But nevertheless, that's where the money comes from. If, if the closing process is clear after the person's ready to buy. So make sure at least in the copy you've written for sure that your close is clear and strong. Something I see people do all the time and it drives me insane is at the end of the letter, even if the whole letter is just phenomenal, at the end of the letter, a lot of copywriters have a tendency to try and sell from the heel. They, they kind of back off. They use words like, uh, this will probably do this for you, or it's very likely, or um, our experience has been that frequently people that buy this do this. Uh, what's, uh, I, I guess, 
is that a problem? Am I reading too much into it or? No, you're, you're reading it exactly right. Um, the problem is that they're scared. They are scared of being criticized. They are scared of someone saying no. And so they're trying to protect themselves from that pain by hedging their bets. You can't do that. You've got to believe in what you're doing. You've got to find absolutely positive statements that you feel comfortable with, that you can, you know, ethically make that the prospect's going to believe. And you've got to just go with that. That's, that's not the time to hedge your bets. It's not, not the time to, to have doubts. You got to have confidence at this point in the letter. You really do. Yeah. Cause if you don't have confidence in it, that's no matter how great the buildup was, that's immediately going to dampen the confidence that the reader has. Well, they, they say that, you know, even a blind pig will pull up a truffle. Sometimes you can <laughs> sell one by accident, but if you really want to get a lot of sales, you got to have confidence in what you're saying. And if you don't have confidence, maybe you shouldn't be writing the letter, you know, yeah. maybe, or maybe you should change or improve the offer. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, can I, uh, can I jump in real quick and add two things that I, I didn't see on your list? Absolutely. One of the things you mentioned was uh, using the grammar and um, spelling check in uh, Word. A couple of tools that I've found that really helped me is a tool online called Grammarly and mm-hmm. another tool called Hemingway app. Have you used either of those? I haven't, but I've heard about them. I, uh, I need to tell you a story. When I went to New York City, um, my gosh, I was 26 and now I'm almost, it's almost 40 years ago. <laughs> um, I was working in this magazine at McGraw Hill and uh, one night, you know, we would typically overwork till like eight o'clock or something. One night, um, my uh, boss came into me and she said sort of casually, by the way, David, I wanted you to know you've just moved here from Washington, D.C. If you don't work out, you're out in the street. And then she just sort of smirked and turned away. And so I had to learn a lot of these things under what we would call extreme duress. But um, not everyone has had the advantage of that terrifying experience in their own life. So, um, yeah, these tools are good. I've heard of both of them. I think they're good. I know one A-list copywriter who uses at least one of them. I know a lot of good copywriters who use both. But I, I, I just don't use them. I sort of had it burned into me through fear about 40 years ago. Not that I'd recommend that for anyone else. I'm just <laughs> saying that's, but, but yeah, I, I think those are good. I, I've heard nothing but good reviews from them. And then the other thing that I was going to ask is something that I find very useful is just to uh, ch- highlight everything and change the font. And a lot of times just simply changing the font helps little things that I might've missed pop out at me because it it feels like I'm looking at it with new eyes. Wow. You're a very sensitive person because, and I'm saying that because fonts do have voices. They sound different, but most people don't even notice that. And you obviously, I, I wouldn't say obviously, I'm guessing you do. Um, that's a great idea. I've never heard of it before. But why not? If, I would say that one, I would put a little footnote, a little asterisk on it. If it works for you, yeah. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a great idea. Um, maybe I'll try it sometime. 
I got the idea because when we used to mix down music, if our ears would start to get fatigued, we would change the speakers or we'd take the CD out to the car and listen to, listen to it in the car stereo. And mm-hmm. that helps you pick up things that you didn't, you didn't catch in the studio monitors. And so one day I was like, well, I wonder what it's going to be like if I change the font. And immediately things started jumping out at me that I didn't notice because my eyes had gotten relaxed and used to the previous font that I was using. Well, you probably have MES, right? What's MES? Mixer's Ear Syndrome. Oh, yes, absolutely. No, that's, that's really great. It, it's, it's a new one on me, but I like it, I'll uh, tell you. All right, let's continue. Well, that's about it. Oh, yeah, there's one other thing I wanted to say. I expect every person listening to this is overwhelmed, and they're thinking, oh, shit, I can't do all these things. Okay, so don't worry about that. This this might be a goal to be able to do these things in a year or five years or two and a half years. If you can't do all these things, do the ones you can. Your copy will still be a lot better than if you didn't do any at all. Now, for the people who hold themselves to higher standards than they can ever meet, and you know who you are, the same thing applies to how well you do the ones you do. The better you do them, the better your copy will be. But if you do the best you can, and it's not as good as you think you can do, your copy will still be a lot better than if you skip the polished steps altogether. Okay? Yeah, I think the tips that you laid out in this episode will take anybody's copy, even A-list copywriters. Uh, these final polishing steps will have just tremendous impact on the persuasion effect of of your writing. So what do we got next week, David? Next week, we have getting into your prospects way of thinking some tried and true techniques to, to get into your prospects head and see things from their point of view through their eyes. Nice. I can't wait. All right. Copywriters. This has been another episode of the copywriters podcast with David Garfinkel proving once again, that he is the world's greatest copywriting coach. Thank you so much, David. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you. If you found this show valuable and you'd like to get it in the ears of other people, the best way to do that is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes.